Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast. I am your host, Kevin Bradley, joined as always by my co-host and fellow red shirt wearer today, Mr. Kevin Gallagher. We're matching. Oh, fuck you. No bucks. (laughs) (laughs) And now that it's done, I can go back to being like a a Patriots fan. And I'm like, all right, Tom, come back. You did this bullshit. Come back to us. We miss you, man. Come on. All right. Well, we got an incredibly impressive guest today, and we cannot wait to go all into his life and all the crazy stories he must have and he, and the special place he holds in the lineage of one Mr. Kevin Gallagher. But before we get into all of that, we got to send it up to sponsors of the show, your friends and ours. You know I'm talking about no judges needed. Your one-stop shop for all of your BJJ training gear, from rash guards to geese. And you might even recognize that familiar face rocking that gi right there, as well as casual so that you can let everybody in the outside world know how hard you go at it on the mats. No judges needed. Has you covered with some of the dopest designs in the game. Jiu-Jitsu owned and operated from day one, so you're not outsourcing this stuff to some guy who's never even you know, done an aux or uh, had an acai bowl before. You know? you know what I'm talking about. Inside Jiu-Jitsu references. Now, we all know that there's like $5 in this sport like collectively, so we're all broke as shit. We're here to help you out, though, because we want you decked out in the latest threads. So use the promo code JJT at checkout to knock 20% off your purchase and just keep doing that. You know, keep letting them know we sent you. It's an incredible brand, and they give a lot back to the community. A ton of really recognizable faces repping the No Judges Needed banner. So walk, don't run to go get yourself decked out in some NJN gear that hit www.nojudgesneeded.com. And once again, that is promo code JJT for 20% off. All right, done. Another ad read in the books. Time card stamped. (laughs) Got to get it done fast today because today's guest is someone that you do not want to make wait because he will talk so much shit about you. (laughs) And it's just going to hurt because he's so good at it. And you don't want to... You don't want to let this guy down because he'll never let you forget it. I will say one thing about Rob Conn. You will never win a mental mental joust with him. There's no no chance. Just give it up on it. He's he's the master of it. He he has it down to a science. So just let him talk and and, and run with it. All right. Thank you for doing half of my job of announcing the name before I was done. (laughs) That's all good because if you clicked on this, you saw it in the title. So it's not like I'm really spoiling much. But I will do my little ad read because I like to give a little pomp and circumstance to anyone who wastes their time on this dog and pony show that we call the JJT Podcast. So without further ado, let me introduce you to third degree black belt under legendary UFC fighter Hoist Gracie, Mr. Rob Khan. Rob, thank you so much for joining us on the JJT podcast. How are you today, sir? Good, good. How are you guys doing? Uh, he does a good job weird, with that like, shit, doesn't he? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he's great. I just feel weird. Uh, we've just been talking for 20 minutes before we went on air, and it's weird saying hello to somebody after you've just been talking <laughs> 20 minutes with them. It's an artifice. <laughs> it's like a fake reality I'm making so that I like other people feel like they're just joining us for the first time. Also, if I seem a little unhinged today, it's because we're doing this on Ash Wednesday, and I've fasted for most of the day. And I'm really starting to hallucinate because I want like five steaks. Good, good. Yeah, God really wants. Yeah, God <laughs> really wants you not to eat on a Wednesday in in February. I mean, I saw what he did to his son that one time, so I'm not I'm not playing around with it. 
We're not talking about we're not talking about the big man in the sky. We're talking about the big man down here on earth, and that is you, sir. So how did how are you doing? You know, like what how's jujitsu been treating you lately? Um, you know, this whole COVID thing screwed, I think, the whole community up uh on some level. So um, you know, the schools were schools are running, but um you know, it's it's certainly a, 2020 wasn't one of our best years uh, by a long shot. So, you know, I'm hoping 2021 with the vaccine and everything else starts getting back to some normalcy and, and I can get back to, uh, um, you know, a full class of people teaching again. You know, I, I, I still enjoy teaching uh, just as much as I did the first day, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, this whole COVID thing, I mean, could you pick a, could you pick a worse thing to hit? for jujitsu guys than covid like uh besides all the lockdowns everywhere you know people are just scared of physical contact so kind of screws us i feel like the only major way the only thing comparable would be some sort of like termite or fly that eats like lycra and cotton so they'd be eating rash guards and we just have to go you know, start rolling around in sweatpants, but I do understand that it, it seems like a very uniquely jujitsu deadly disease to have happened, you know, where it, just at proximity alone is what's going to kill you. Yeah, no, it, it, it's definitely been, you know, the, the most trying years. I've, I've been open in Tampa now, on, what, 17, 18 years uh, since I moved to Tampa um as a black belt and and uh this has easily been the most trying way worse than the first year first year was easy like um this has been the most trying year in terms of business first for for without question have you i mean you've been around for a long time you've been you've been you've been in tampa for you said 18 years but you've been teaching jujitsu in some form or another for 25 plus years right as if i if i get that right uh i started teaching officially in 1995 yeah that's amazing Um, and um i i um i I, you know but but it was such a you know it's so weird nowadays like you you know like you go to one of our schools kev you got you on the mat me on the mat matt on their mat like might be five six other black belts rolling around you know after 20 years almost 20 years down here we've produced you know like my black belts are now producing black belts right you you know Uh, like we're almost at the point where my black belts black belts are producing black belts um it's crazy, but like in the early days, in the early '90s, I started in in around '93, '94. Um, you know, Hoist asked; they opened up a, a Hoist and Horan opened up a, a training center in New York. They asked me to be the instructor. Um, I I had six weeks of training, intensive training. I went out for California, uh, and I trained like twelve hours a day. And I got you know, I I mean, I trained like a monster, like a maniac for twelve that literally twelve hours a day, and, and so if you spread that time out over the amount, that six weeks over what a normal person would, would train, it would probably be close to six months or a year of training um, because I was doing so much of it. So, you know, I had my blue belt and stuff like that, but I was still a very new blue belt, but I was better than all the other white belts that, that were <laughs> at the at the training network that I, you know, they asked me to teach at. So it was like, you know, the guy with one eye leading the blind in 95. And, and that's, uh, you know, how I got started teaching. And honestly, I've always said that teaching is probably one of the best ways I've ever, uh, one of my best learning tools was teaching, you, you know, to explain the move to somebody else 
who might be a different body type, who might be, you know, taller than me, thicker than me, skinnier than me, whatever, whatever the case may be, you got to look at the move in, in, in different angles and figure out how it works for them. And it allowed, it allowed me to like kind of really open up my mind and, and challenge myself to figure out how this move should work for this person. Um, so I always put that, you know, I always think of teaching as one of the best training tools for, um, for jujitsu. Why, why is that, Rob? Give us a little more detail on, on why teaching a move to someone helps you to improve your own jujitsu. Because, because, you know, there's different levels of athleticism. There's different levels of understanding. People get it better than others. And if you get a, if you get a student who doesn't get it maybe quite as well as some of the others, you have to break it down for them in, in a much more like comprehensive way. And by doing so, it, it's enhancing your understanding. Like, you, you know, you might not have ever had that thought in your head of, okay, well, let, let me use this analogy to break this move down for this guy because he's not getting it the way we're teaching it. You know, he's not just getting it by saying, do this, do this, do this, do this. I need an analogy to, to make him understand. And by, by, but by coming up with the analogy, it also solidified and made me understand the move a lot better. Um, you know, then, and, and that's not something I probably would have ever done if I, if I didn't, wasn't put in that position. So, you, you know, or, or the guy's a lot taller and, and the move is, um, you know, about getting a hook in and, and maybe his legs are so long, he's having trouble getting a hook in. Um, so, you know, he's brand new, so he has no idea how to fix that. So I have to now look at it because I can't look over my shoulder at this point because, you know, I had left California. I was, I was back in New York. I can't look over at Hoist and ask him the question. So it's like, all right, what do we do? How do we get this goddamn fucking lanky bastards hooking? Um, all right, well, maybe if we turn our hip this way and then, you know, next thing you know, it's, it, it started allowing me to be more creative with jujitsu uh, very early on. And I didn't really have, you know, I trained it at the academy. Like I said, my first six weeks intensively. Then I went back to, to New York and taught for a year. Then I went out for a few weeks again to California intensively. Um, and then I went back for to New York for a few more months. And then I moved to California for, for a year or so and trained intensively for a year. And then I, I, I hated California so much, I left and went back to New York. Right around this time, uh, Henzo had moved to Manhattan. And I started doing a lot of training with Rodrigo. But like, I really feel like those first couple years of, of me teaching and having to like figure out my own answers. Um, now, I'm not saying I invented anything because all that shit's already been out there. But like, I had to come to those conclusions myself, and it really helped my understanding of jujitsu, which is, you know, you know better than anybody, Kevin. Like, when I'm teaching down at South, you know, when I see you at South, what's usually the first thing I do is is ask for questions, right? Because I, I feel like it's it's one of the best ways to learn, um, like the Q and A part of of jujitsu classes is, is to me the 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 single best way to learn jujitsu. You know, people I've, already have a question. Go ahead, Kevin. They, they 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 don't understand it, and and their mind is really focused on learning why this isn't working, and it also gives me a challenge to figure out how to answer their question. I've learned I, a lot about teaching from you because i can remember back in my blue bait days when i used to take rob Kahn's class and it was always a q a class and you know when you teach a private lesson to someone that's a white belt or a blue belt like they have questions 
and they come to you with questions and the questions they ask aren't really even the questions that they think they want answers to. It's your job to look at that question and say, okay, cool. Like you really want to know how to get out of someone that has you inside mount. And the reality of it is, is like when someone gets you inside mount, like you, you fucked up a long time ago. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The real question you need to answer is how do you not get your guard passed so you don't get caught in that position? So I'm going to give you a couple little things and lead you on the way and let you feel, feel like you asked the right question, but I'm really going to tell you what you need to know as opposed yeah, to, to what exactly or like with side mount for me it's it, it's a big thing like you know you pass my guard you get to my side mount you're you're a skilled athletic strong guy like if you don't want me to move yeah, yeah. you don't want me to escape i'm not going to escape like the question we, and, and there's not really any big secret on, on this, especially a position like side mount there's not a big question about how i'm going to get out it's going to be an underhook escape or it's going to be an elbow escape gonna be usually one of those two like unless some something freaky happens so the question isn't what i'm gonna use that's never the question yet that that's the question they always ask my my answer to them is it's not what you're going to use it's when do you use it and you got to bait the guy into attacking you you got to get him to stop holding you to attack you because that's when you're going to be freed up to use the underhook or the elbow escape uh, in that situation, or like you said, your answer, which is don't get there to begin with, like keep yourself from getting to a shitty position. That's really hard to, you know, it's like falling into a pit. Don't fall into the pit. You have to worry about getting out. Right. Exactly. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Rob, but that, that shit is like nails on a chalkboard to me because, uh, my instructor, Chris Noonan back in Jersey, that is his number one answer for everything is like, whenever I'm like, I'm having trouble finding escape, like from this position, don't get in there. Dummy. I hated that answer. Cause that was a big answer with the Gracie's over the years. Like, don't, well, why are you there? And it's like, shithead, I get that. I, I know I shouldn't be there. But the fucking guy's better than me. He put me there. So, like, I, I don't like to give that as just the answer. Like, in terms of side mount, for my example, is, like, somebody passes my guard. If they're good enough to pass my guard, okay. Well, well, then I'm just going to sit here and wait for them to attack me because I know that's my best chance of escaping. Um, the idea that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to muscle my way out or, like, force an elbow escape or force an UPA. Or, 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 or force, I'm sorry, an underhook escape. All that's going to do is put me in a, in a in a countering position to get darsed or, you know, mounted or, or caught in something else. And, you know, you got to recognize, okay, the position has changed. I'm in the neutral. I'm in a bad one now. I'm not in the neutral one anymore. Um, he, 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 I'm going to make him take the lead because counter punching is really my only way out of here. You know, you, consistent basis. you, uh, you, you brought up an interesting point when you talked about the idea of you had to start to be creative with your jujitsu from a very early age at a blue belt level, just because you didn't have, you couldn't turn to hoist. You couldn't turn to a purple belt or a brown belt and be like, Hey, what about this? Cause you were the authority. You were the one that the people asked questions to. And I, I asked this question in regards to, cause I've taken quite a bit. You know, obviously, I know all all your head instructors. I know Robbie. I know Matt. I know Bamboo. I know all those guys. And each one of their you're gyms. In the, you're in the circle, brother. You're in yeah. the circle. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> but going to each one of those classes and just in general, like I think of you as like the patron. You know what I'm talking about? You're, you're at the tip of the spear because all of our jujitsu comes through you. And there are obviously parts of your jujitsu in every one of their instructions. 
but each one of those gyms has their own particular ways in which they go. And, and you can look at jujitsu in that manner as like an organic thing. So I, I guess my question to you is like when you were coming up, how much of what you taught was like canon doctrine that you learned from uh from Hoist, you know yeah. Hoist yeah. and those and how much of that was shit you just had to spitball to figure out ways to figure out what came next and, and, and how to be creative off of that. You know, the Gracies, uh, you know, the basics are the basics. The fundamentals are the fundamentals. Like, that's the, that's the you know, the base of this, this art. And, and, you know, well, I'll get, I'll get back to that topic in a second. But, um, you know, the Gracies used to have a great expression when, when I first started where they said, you know, they'll give you the, they'll give you the recipe. But, you, hold on, sorry. This thing blocked me. Um, they'll give you the recipes. But, you know, you, you could season it as needed. And, you know, like, like, for example, Robbie or Matt, like Matt, Matt's a cardio machine. The, the, the guy, you know, lives like, like a, a Buddhist monk. Right. He eats like, you know, all he does is eat, train and eat, train, eat, train, sleep, eat, train, sleep. Guy's got cardio for days. Like he could put pressure on you and never get tired. Like. If that, if that, you know, I'm 50 years old, that's not, I, I can't do that type of game anymore, but Matt can. So he exploits that game. Like that's not a game that I'm necessarily looking to, to teach, but he's using a lot of, you know, the fundamentals and the stuff we've done. He's just now tweaked it and added his own seasoning to make it work for his, his body type and his, his attributes. You know, he's athletic, he's strong, and he could put pressure constantly. Um, you know, Robbie, Robbie, Robbie's like a yoga freak without ever doing yoga. You, you, you know, like you shouldn't be 240 and be that flexible. So he's able to use his flexibility in ways that, you know, I, I couldn't conceive of. So, you know, he added some seasonings with, with, uh, with his flexibility and his dexterity um, to, to the, to the fundamental stuff. Like to me, it's like, you know, I, I've added to the fundamentals like head pressure making somebody uncomfortable when I can, you know, like uh, I think my, my addition to the, or, or my, uh, you know, um, yeah, addition to the, to the jujitsu game was more the strategy and the, and the psycho psychological, like making people uncomfortable every second of the match, making them think of something else, making them not want to be there, putting so much pressure on them, that they that they're just not possibly thinking of the chess match of jujitsu. Um, like that I, that's where I felt like I made I made you know the most strides in my game because physically I'm I you know I'm not the most physically gifted. I'm not the biggest. I'm not the strongest. I'm not the most athletic. But I felt like I could put pressure on people, and and mentally check them out of the match easier. I, I before we get on too far, I want to stop and revisit something you said earlier, just because when sure. you were talking about your early days as a teacher, you had a a very relative, uh, relatively short amount of experience under your belt before you were asked to be responsible for others. And you said it was like the blind leading the blind. And no, I said you it said, was the man with one or eye a one eye leading the blind, like a one with slightly more advantage and slightly more insight leading 
like completely blind people. That's fucking Rob Khan. Don't call this guy blind. Come on, Kevin. I'm not saying, hey, look, look, hey, he can, he can kick my ass and he knows it. But I would love to know. Mind. He could beat you to death and then use your body to beat me to death. That's I'm talking a lot of happen. shit, but I'm still in fear of this man constantly every day. Okay, yeah. Every, every time every time I call Kevin, he's like, I love the guy to death. He's one of my favorite. I call him every time I call him for like 10 years now. I'd be like, Kevin, what's up? He's like, what did I do? I'm in trouble. Like, no, no, you're not in trouble. Like I'm just fucking calling you. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. Whenever Kev like messages me, that's kind of what I feel like. Oh shit, did I fuck up? <laughs> no, but but I would love to know if you remember if there was a specific like day or time period where you felt yourself grow into more of a teacher instead of just a student that's being asked to lead other students. So I, I don't I don't think there was a uh, like a single like moment or day where I um you know like felt like I became a teacher or anything. But I, I can't tell you that there was a day like when I used to think of jujitsu, I used to think like your learning curve was this straight line, you know, almost, almost like a forty five degree line up the graph. Um, oh, there you go. Um, I um, and it's not that way at all. Like I, I, I remember this day. It's, I've told probably Kevin's probably heard, heard this story a few times, but like I was, it was that summer. I was uh, uh, I just got my blue belt, uh, like a you know a week or two earlier. Um, I was only out there for six, so this is towards the end of my um, my six week intensive training. And they let me go to the advanced class at the, at the Gracie Academy, not because I was advanced, just because they knew I was out there for a short period of time. Uh, you know, I was a young kid. I, I, I won the Golden Gloves. They knew I wasn't going to, like, complain if I got my ass kicked. Um, and John Burke, who's, like, my brother who got me started in this, um, was good friends with Hoist and, you know, pulled a little bit of strings. Because I figured if I'm out there, I want to take every class I could take. So... At that time at the Gracie Academy in 90, what was 94, 95, the, uh, for some reason, the, the, everybody in the fucking, in the, uh, in the advanced class was like gigantic. I mean, like 260, 240, 230, like just big dudes. I was like 170, 175 back then. And, um, there was this one guy, he was a four strike blue belt. He, he was like the closest to my size. We were probably like within, 10 pounds of each other. So like he was, you know, he was the guy I got paired with a lot. And I remember the whole summer, he just kicked my ass. It just beat me up, you know, like every, cause I was up there, like literally as a white belt, just getting murdered by this guy. And I loved it. You know, I, I mean, I mean, I wanted to experience as much as I could when I was out there. And, um, so we, we, I got a chance to take a class with Elio and it was me and all these guys from the instructor program. Uh, and they let me in as a white belt. They let me into the instructor program, mostly because of my friendship with John. Like, um, you know, they loved Joyce and Horion loved John. And I was John's boy. I was living with him. And and uh, they were like, yeah, all right, fuck it, let him in. You know, it wasn't anything I did. Um, and I remember, like, Elio's like, you know, and this is all through an interpreter because Elio didn't speak uh, English. But it was through Hoyce or Horian, I forget who was uh, translating. And he says, uh, he goes, anybody got any questions? And I, I almost kind of asked the same question that me and Kevin were just talking about. 
I said, you know, when a bigger guy gets on top of me inside, man, I can't get out. You know, I tried the, 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 the underhook escape. I tried the elbow escape. I tried this. And the guy just holds me there, and I can't get out. And Elio looks at me like, like I'm, like I'm full-blown retarded. Like, <laughs> like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I can't get out. Like, you know, I'm trying to force the elbow escape. I'm trying to make this work. And he's like, he looks over at, like, Hoist or Horion. I forgot which one. He's like, is this kid kidding me? Like, <laughs> is he serious? Ah, get over here. I remember he said, bah, get over here. So I get over. Elio lays down. I lay on top. Uh, you know, I'm told to lay on top of him at side mount. Elio gets his hands in the right place. You know, he's protecting his rib on the near side. He's got the underhook on the, on the far side. And, um, like, he says, go. So I start, I just lock down on him. I hold him down. And I remember he starts whistling. He just starts whistling. Like, and I'm like, uh, what, 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 what's going on here? Um, he's whistling. Like, and then uh, at some point, I think it was Horion said, my father wants to know if you're hurting him. <laughs> and I said, no. He goes, are you breaking his arm? Do you have him in your shoulder lock? I'm like, no. He goes, are you choking him? I go, no. He goes, so why should my father escape? Because when you try and beat him up, then don't worry about it. And I'm thinking, oh, they want me to go for a submission. So I remember we were in a gi, obviously. I, I, I pulled my hand out. I went for a cross choke. And within, you know, a nanosecond, that 85-year-old that bastard slipped out from underneath me and escaped my side mount at, at like 85, 86 years old. Like it wasn't even there. But, you know, in terms of physical strength, youth, everything else was on my side. He just had intelligence and experience and, 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 and knowledge on his side. And he just, he wasn't going to burn an ounce of energy until I moved, until I gave him the opening. And he would have sat there for three hours because I wasn't hurting him. I was just holding him. And like that concept, they, they must have drilled that concept into me for weeks at that point. And it just never stuck. But having this old man just escape my side mount so easily with no strength, no strength whatsoever, just beautiful, perfect technique. It was like, oh. So that night I went to that advanced class and I was rolling with that same guy who's been kicking my ass for the whole summer. And I remember like he passed my guard. He got to side mount. And I remembered the, the lesson. And I was like, all right, just relax, relax. I put him back in guard eventually, which never happened before. Usually pass my guard, mount, submit me, or take my back, submit me. Then they all, you know, rinse, wash, repeat. Um, so I put him back in my guard, and they passed again. And I did the same thing. I just relaxed. I waited him for make a move. I put him back in my guard. This went on three or four times. He's now getting exhausted from passing my guard. And... As time is running out, I finally put him back in my guard. And no, I'm sorry. Right before I put him back in my guard, the last time, when he passed my guard, when he when he landed on side mount, his his heart was right by my ear. I could hear his heartbeat, and his heart was going like flying, and mine was barely above normal, you know, everyday movement. Like like I could tell this guy was getting exhausted. From from all the because he made he made jujitsu all about physical, you know, attributes and physical activity. 
So then I put him back in the guard, and then all of a sudden, I didn't catch him, but I was chasing him with an armbar. I was chasing him with a, with, a, with a triangle. I was chasing him with, I, you know, the time ran out, and I didn't catch him. But it was like, like the day before, he probably caught me six times. And in one lesson with Elio, like something just clicked that day. And this day, like he didn't, not only did he not catch me, but if you had to watch the match and say who was the one closer to being submitted, it was him. I almost submitted him a few times. And, you know, like oh, by a week later, I was submitting. And that was it. Um, like, you know, once I passed him, that was it. I, 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 I like whatever, however Elio said it, however he proved it, he convinced me of it. And to this day, that's still one of the biggest principles I talk about in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, and that's one of, you know, when you talk about, you know, the Haleo lineage and the, and obviously the Hoist lineage and the lineage that comes from the Gracie family, that, that side of the family, um, efficiency is their number one priority. The idea of, if you look, if you watch Haleo's matches against Kamor, against some of the other guys like these, everything, they last forever and ever and ever. But at the end of the day, He's staying safe. He's staying calm while someone else is working harder than he is. And eventually, no matter how long it takes, he ends up on top and ends up doing what he needs to do because you have exhausted yourself in one way or another. And I've maintained the ability to stay safe. So, like, when I think about that, I remember one of, one of the stories you told me once was the first time you ever competed. I remember you told me one time you were, I don't remember where it was, somewhere in New York, you went to a competition and someone, so it, was a, it was the first time I competed outside of the Gracie rules. Right, uh, the, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you went to some competition and someone passed your guard and just held you in side mount for five minutes and, and won off of a guard pass or something ridiculous like that. And in your yeah, brain, close it enough. was yeah, – in your brain, you couldn't, you couldn't conceptualize the idea of – why would someone just hold me here? Why is them someone not working for the attack? Why is someone not going after another submission? Submissions. And I, yeah. I guess I guess the point I'm trying to make with that is when we talk about, you know, whenever I teach a class, I always talk about the differentials between jujitsu as a sport and jujitsu as a martial art. And how sometimes we do the sport of jujitsu to get better at the martial art of jujitsu. There's no no way we can debate it all day long. And you know, there's some things that aren't necessarily great for, for martial art, but the idea is you're still getting better at jujitsu. I guess the point I'm trying to make is how far away based upon those concepts has sport jujitsu come from the martial art of what jujitsu is all about. Uh, you know, I'll tell you a quick, funny story. I, and I might've told you this. Uh, you, have you heard me mention a guy named Richard Bressler? Richard um, Bressler. Maybe that maybe the name sounds familiar. Richard Bressler, I call him Patient Zero. He uh, was Horian Gracie's first student in America. Dangerous like term. His... Dangerous term these days. You might, want to... <laughs> you might want to give him a new nickname. <laughs> well, I, I, I gave him the nickname in '94, so it sticks. Oh um, yeah, just like you know, things age differently than you think. <laughs> it, did, it, it didn't age well. That's true, but um, you know, Richard Bressler was was Horian Gracie's first student, and you you know, he's not. Uh, a super athletic guy, a super big guy, or anything like that. But, um, you know, Elio Gracie Jiu Jitsu was perfect for him. Like, tournaments aren't Richard's thing. They never were, they never will be. He, he's looking for the self defense aspect of it, like defending himself, keeping himself protected, and then winning if he sees the opportunity. So it was in 96. I was back in California, and I remember me and Richard were doing work in the back, and the first world championships went off. Um, 
the 96, 96 Mundials was the, was the first legitimate world championships in jiu-jitsu. And uh, so they just went off. And this is obviously pre-YouTube, pre, you know, a- a- internet really. It was, it was, you know, we had to wait X number of weeks or months to get a VHS tape sent up to us of, of some of the matches. You know, some one of the crazy family members videoed it and sent it up to Hoist and Horan. With the big-ass freaking Yeah, uh, with the fucking <laughs> the gigantic. <laughs> yeah, like, like, like the NBC, like, right cameras for commercials kev you don't remember and, that shit but we do and, and yeah, um i was i was doing i was figuring out shapes i think <laughs> so so uh i remember going y'all this shit's gonna be cool I, I was talking to richard i was like this shit's gonna be cool and uh you know like all the best jiu-jitsu guys in brazil going against each other it's gonna be i you know, i can't wait to see it you know um and richard goes that shit's gonna turn jiu-jitsu into taekwondo in 10 years and I looked at him, I'm like, what? Because Hoist was still competing in the UFC at this time. Like, jiu-jitsu was still made its name through fighting, you know? Like, tournaments weren't really a thing. Um, in fact, the first Gracie Academy tournament didn't happen until the next year, like 96 or 97. Uh, the end of 96 or early 97 was the first Gracie Academy tournament. Um, like, real tournament. They used to have, like, little local, like... Um, class tournaments but but like that was the first time where they had the networks come in and and do like a big national tournament was 97. um so you know the graces just uh, or at least that side of the family wasn't a big supporter of it and i was like what are you talking about jujitsu is always going to be like about fighting like it's always crazy ufc you know submitting the, submitting the guy in front of you like he goes you watch you watch it'll become like taekwondo and that's exactly what happened. It might have taken a little bit longer than Richard predicted, but he got it right. Like, I, I have no use for tournament jujitsu whatsoever with like the I, IBJJF formats. Um, I think it's absolutely useless, um, and and I think it does more harm to to. In fact, Elio left. Elio was president of that federation. He left it in disgust in the, I think it was in the 80s or late, early 90s, because he said he was going to ruin his jiu-jitsu as a combat art. Okay. And, and it's ruined every other art. Every other art that was a combat art that went into tournaments has been ruined. So why shouldn't jiu-jitsu be any different? I, I would love to pose a question for you responding to that a little bit, just because I'm really curious as to how bad you think it's gotten in your point of view. Do you think a a high level tournament taekwondo player is better capable of defending themselves than like a high level tournament like IBJJF rules jujitsu oh, player? No, of course not. Not even close. Not even close. But if you had told me in 1995 that a legitimate jujitsu tournament was be to me invert and chase you around my asshole, I would tell you. <laughs> You're out of you're out of your fucking mind. Yet you watch it every fucking time somebody has a jujitsu match. They drop to their back, turn around, and chase somebody around the mat with their asshole, trying to invert on them. It's the it's the weirdest shit I've ever seen in my life. So I I I understand that and I do, and I always I respect your I respect hey, your up. point of view. I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm sorry. Am I in trouble? <laughs> not, oh, no, 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 now look, like if you get into jujitsu, not everybody. I got into jujitsu for the self-defense aspect, the fighting aspect, 
of it. Like UFC amazed me. You know, that was impressive to me. Uh, if you get into it because you like the healthy competitions of tournaments and, you, you know, you recognize, okay, this might not be the most effective way to spend my time training for a fight, but I really enjoy the com competitive aspects of tournaments. I have no problem with that. If jujitsu is influencing your life in a positive way, it's none of my fucking business. How 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 you take it if if it if it's making you enjoy your life and you have a hobby that you enjoy and you know just recognize that a lot of that shit isn't going to work in a, in a, in a self defense encounter. But you know I know Kevin, you I know you love to compete and and like uh, there's no like I got no issues with people who want to compete. Just I, I have issues with people who think some of these tournament fighters are going to succeed in in MMA because they're not. Yeah, it's a. I mean, I always when I whenever I teach something, I always do my sure. best to signify the three different aspects of jujitsu, and I usually break it down to sport jujitsu, MMA jujitsu, and self defense jujitsu. And there are three discernible differences between a different technique, different ways I'll do it. And this isn't necessarily going to be something you're going to do in MMA or self-defense because self-defense in, in and of itself is different than MMA. It's, it's very similar, but it's a different concept. It's about quick mobilization and, you know, holding a person on the ground and putting them to sleep in whatever con way you can. A little bit different and MMA when you have two striking, guys that are right. striking in the brainstem when I have your right. back and, right. exactly. you know, putting my thumb in your eye and all that shit. So the point I'm trying to make is this, is that like, I think that when we talk about the sport of jujitsu, we talk about the idea that, you know, we have jujitsu practitioners that go against each other every single day. And the reality of self-defense jujitsu, things that you learn, I mean, you, you even said it yourself when you took a class from Horian, he taught the same 25 moves and that's all he taught. Now you would learn an immense amount of information about those basic fundamental moves. Oh and yeah. Learn and like, but the, what fact, his, his canon was very small. There wasn't a lot of deviation from that. And when no, you watch, no, and, Oh Jesus Christ. Sorry. I keep getting my hand you, in the way. You good. You good. Um, Horion, you're hundred percent right. Horion believed in the basics. He practiced what he preached, but I'd always be shocked. Like, you know, even, even like when I got to be, you know, a higher level blue belt, like a three or four stripe blue belt and purple belt, maybe even, I'm not sure. I mean, I left, I left Horion as a Brown to go with Hoist when that whole split happened. Um, so I, I probably still took classes with Horion occasionally as a purple, but like, it'd be amazing to me. He would take such a simple move, like, like an Upa or an elbow scaper or, uh, uh, an Americana. And I'd be like, I, I'd be doing this consistently every day for X number of years. And I'd see a detail that I never saw before, and I'd be like, "How's that? How's that possible?" And such yeah, a simple yeah. move that I, that I, I thought that. I had down. Like, how, how did I miss that? Like, wh whatever it was, whether it was part of the entry or or the actual move itself, I mean, it, it was amazing. Horion, Horion was. I, you know, you've heard me say this. I, I, I wish Horion cared a little bit more about learning more than the basics. Because he's the best pure instructor I've ever had at anything in my life. Yeah, um, you tell you said that a lot, and you know his his sons, uh, Henner and um, and Halek, and the other one, Hiron, Hiron. They they are they say what you want about them. They're amazing instructors. Like you know their, their videos well, are amazing. You, well, 
you know, it's funny. They're, they're, they, I, I, I used to babysit those kids back in the day. Um, but, but yeah, they, they are great instructors. They are absolutely fantastic instructors. Um, but you know, it's funny when I watch them, I could tell that they're just copying the father. Um, and they're, they're just, and, and, and this is not meant as an insult to hear on or Hannah at all. Cause I, I do think they're great instructors. They are, they're, they're just lesser copies of yeah. their father. I mean, Horian Gracie was, I, I mean, like, I really wish every jujitsu guy got a chance to take a class with like a prime Horian Gracie and let him explain to you the fundamentals of jujitsu. And you'd walk out of there like, oh my God, like, holy shit. Like that guy's brilliant. Like his way of using analogy. Like, in fact, when you hear me teach, so much of it is me summoning. You know, if you had to, if you had to, like, think about how many classes I had over the years with, say, like my main instructors, obviously was Horace, uh, but Horian, I took X number of classes with. Henzo, I took a ton of classes with. Uh, Rodrigo, I took probably second most behind Horace with. Um, all amazing instructors, all of them. Um, but if you watch me teach for the little amount I train with Horion, I summon more Horion Gracie when I'm teaching than any other of my instructors. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I think about your your attention to detail, and I think about the things that the Rob Khan stamp, I talked about it before with all your instructors, is obviously very obvious. Everyone, Every one of your instructors is teaching – Shoulder pressure. Every one of your instructors is teaching what time is the grip. There are elements of Rob Khan Jiu-Jitsu that are a part of everyone, that are a part of all your instructors. Now yeah. they go off on their own little freaking – but there are the core elements that well, just like, around that. Just like, the, you know, like Corian and Hoist told me, they, they gave me the recipe. I added my own, you know, uh, spices. Uh, right. uh, well, shoulder pressure and, you know, some, some of the stuff that, that are my spices – you know, became part of my fundamentals, which right. went out to all you guys, and you guys started adding your own spices on top of that. You, you, you know, and like you get to the very individual sport. Like there, there's so much room for creativity in inside of jujitsu. That so um, organic, it grows I, on its own. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I think that I, I just because his is a name that rarely comes up. I've found in in the over the course of this podcast with regards to his teaching, it's it's more so he's brought up for like his his business acumen and his involvement with like UFC one. But why? Like, what do you think Horian's role in the family? Uh, what what kind of role do you think he exists in now? Like, what do you do? You have much communication with him? Like these days? No, you know, I, I unfortunately they there was uh like there was a like um they kind of I don't know uh, there was a, a falling out let's say between Hoist and the academy, um and Hoist is my boy. He's one of my good friends. He's been nothing but an honorable, loyal friend and instructor to me from day one. And I and I got a call from the academy saying like either you're with the academy or you're with Hoist and. Uh, that was the last time I ever spoke to anybody at the academy. Um, that was back when I was brown belt. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, I, I know kind of what go, went on with that whole situation. And, um, you know, I, I for, fully believe Hoist was screwed over 
but um, yeah. but that's ancient history. Corey is notorious to... for that. We don't have to get into it, but I've heard yeah, yeah. rumors from other people that he's he's a, he's screwed a lot of people over in a lot of different. Yeah, ways. you know, and it's and you know, like and from what I understand, they've reconciled in there. You know, so I don't I don't want to dredge up shit right, to, exactly. to 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 cause problems because because like I said, Horion, like I've heard all those same stories about Horion. I've heard them since I started jujitsu. But I will say this about Horion: in in the years I spent with him, he was never anything but a gentleman to me. He never broke his word with me once. Uh, whatever he said he was going to do, he did. Um, and like I said, in terms of just being the best pure instructor I've ever been around, not just in jujitsu, in anything, it's Horian and Grace. I well, mean, I, I think fan, I, he's fantastic. There's a whole generation of people that kind of only know him as the guy that sometimes shows up in the Gracie Academy YouTube videos to talk about like how eating fruit makes you live longer. But people forget <laughs> That when the Gracies immigrated here, he was the tip of the spear. He was the guy that when people showed up to do challenge matches mm -hmm. at his garage, he had to beat the crap out of them. You know, he had to be the guy constantly defending jujitsu while like his students and his sons grew. Do you think it's important that people remember just how big of a role he had in early jujitsu in America and like specifically the Gracie style? Oh fuck yeah! Like like say like like I said, you know, I I have nothing personal other than the whole thing with Hoist. Like Orion was always good to me, but say what you want. Everybody who goes and steps on a jujitsu mat in this country should thank Orion Gracie. Period. Like he brought it to this country in in a big way. He did the UFC. He popular. He did something that nobody else did. I mean, you know when you're. The UFC started in 93, you, you know, by like within 20 years, jujitsu became absolutely 100% mainstream. That's faster than like the NFL, the NBA, like and, any, any of these quote unquote, you, you know, uh, major sports that we have now. None of them became mainstream that quick, as quickly as the UFC did. Um, now, obviously, Dana White had something to do with that, too, when he took it over. But like. Without without Horion as the catalyst, ah shit. We without Horion as the catalyst, none of that happens. Right. God damn it. <laughs> you're good, baby. Hold <laughs> on, I'll be right there. Yeah, you're good. You're good. You know, I'm just because it's Rob Con. I'm tempted to leave all this. Fucking <laughs> Rob, dude. We love oh, Rob. Yeah. This, is the best part. this is the best part. <laughs> Hold on. Where, where what, are you? There you go. What'd you do? Now. You turn the phone. There you go. There we go. There we go. There we go. So I, I got back back to the to the sport jujitsu self defense jujitsu like whole reality of jujitsu. So you know you talked about some of the early competitions and you talked about how you know I've I've seen some old matches from the nineties and 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 like I don't want to talk shit but it's it's boring as shit. Like you watch like <laughs> you watch a match between John Jack Machado and fucking Hicks and Gracie or. Or whoever was at on the jujitsu scene at that time in the worlds, and you know it's all closed guard, lots of lots of like pseudo wrestling, pseudo judo stuff. Eventually, somebody pulls guard, and then he sits in a closed guard. Somebody goes for an umaplata, tries to do something. It's like it's like watching paint dry. So you know when I talk about sport jujitsu and the developments and how it's advanced, I talk about the idea that guys just figured out more creative ways to go down the spiral of things to make jujitsu more fun and interesting. So like if I'm a brown belt or a black belt, 
Like I have to find new and creative ways to make Matt Arroyo do what I want him to do, or it's just not going to happen. I get bored with just playing close guard all the time. So I'm constantly thinking of new ways to do things. And yes, maybe that creative intent veered away from the martial art of the sport, but it made the sport more interesting. Right. Well, so and you po- also got to remember those guys. Um, uh, first of all, you know, Hickson was relevant well into his late forties where he was still smashing the, right. the current world champions with that old antiquated jujitsu and, and the fun, you know, perfect execution of the fundamentals. Um, it's only been like, even over the last few years, I even Crone admitted that Hickson caught him like in his sixties. Yeah. Um, you know, Crone said, Hickson said, look, I'm not in shape. I could probably give you like three minutes. Um, so if we go three minutes, I, I, I got to call it three because I haven't really been training. We're broken back Crone, and everything. Crone, Crone, yeah. And, and Crone said he caught him in like a minute and a half. Um, <laughs> like, how many guys at, at, do you know who could catch Crone at all? I mean, or, like or not get of, destroyed by him? One of the best uh, ADCC. One of the best ADCC matches like ever, according to you know guys like Eddie Bravo, was Crone versus Gary Tonin. You know, like a few yeah. years ago. When you think about Cron up against one of the best in the world right now, and you think about the fact that his dad could still get him in under five minutes. I'd love it's, to see it's, it's just you know it's anymore. like, and I know I'm getting off a little bit topic, but like you know I came up from that that side, you know the Elio side, so. I never got uh, one. Of, one of my biggest disappointments was never getting to roll with with Hickson. But um, like guys I know from the Umaita side, and even guys who aren't necessarily from the Umaita side, who who uh, got a chance to roll with them, you know, um, Salo Ribeiro, Hanzo, um, Hoyce, Hoyler, like. Um, Dave Camarillo, like these guys, I mean, when, when you bring up their role with Hickson, it's like, uh, uh, like I was useless. <laughs> like I, I just felt like a rag doll. Like there was nothing I could do. Like, and, and you know, I mean, these guys are, you know, they, Richard, again, going back to that Richard Bressler story, um, when he said that jujitsu was going to turn into, um, you know, he just wrote a book, by the way. His book is fantastic. If I can it. plug it. I'm gonna read. Um, it. Go for it. It's what's it called? I think I have it right here. Um, it's 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 his story. It's his. It's his. It's his life in jujitsu from meeting Horion in the '70s till till you know kind of modern day. And um, Richard's. It, it's a very honest account of a lot of shit that happened, you know, with Horion and. Um, some of the stuff we just kind of talked about, um, plus early garage days with Hickson and, uh, you know, and just also what jujitsu did for his life. It's a fantastic book. And, and Richard's one of the good people in jujitsu. Like, uh, I loved his classes when I was there, when I first started, he was a brown belt. He'd been training since 79, 78, 79. This was like 94, 95. He was still a brown belt. And, uh, but he was an amazing instructor. And the name of the book is called Worth Defending uh, How Jiu Jitsu Saved My Life by Richard Bressler. Fantastic book. If you guys are interested in some interesting. Oh, yeah. We just read. Know, dry I, I mean, just close, think about how long by. I've been in the art. Yeah. This guy like doubles me. 
as an American. Which have you uh, have you read that Drysdale's book, The Opening Close Guard? You got to get a copy of this. I'm amazing. No, no, I'll I give you my yet. copy to read. It's amazing. It's 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 really that good. But yeah, I'm going to no, read this. I, I've, I've, read been, I've been meaning on reading it. Uh, I just haven't gotten a chance to. But um, uh, we were talking about Hickson. I, I forgot where we left off on Hickson. But um, oh, yeah, we, we were mainly talking oh, about. Oh, you know what I was saying? What I was going to say was like you know you talk about those matches being boring like. Jiu-Jitsu was not really meant to be a spectator sport to begin with. It was meant to be a self-defense art. So, like, a lot of those matches back, you know, when Hickson was fighting or, you know, had John Jack or whatever, they were still looking at it as a fight. You, you, you know, like, the parameters of it was still, like, you know, I'm not going to do this because I might get punched in the face here. Like, they, you know, nowadays, like, the governors are come off. Like, people will do shit that will get them killed in a street fight for the sake of action in jiu-jitsu. And, um, you know, like I said, if that's your thing and you love jiu-jitsu and you love that aspect of it, I got no problem with somebody doing that. That's just not really what I got into it for. You know? I, I, I definitely hear you, and I, I understand where you're coming from, but I also am curious to know if of the – of those really specific tournament jujitsu innovations that have come out, you know, you got things like uh, Keenan Cornelius and his worm guard. You've got like the Baron Bolo. You've got all these sorts of like really technical moving part uh, pieces of the, the modern competitive jujitsu scene. Do any aspects of those things that might not work in the streets, have you ever been able to glean any kind of insights that do work for more of a self-defense point of view like not necessarily like Imanari rolling into you know Barambolo but like like pieces of those that have, have fit better into like a, a self-defense scenario. Believe it or not I have never been able to put a worm guard on a mugger wearing a jacket. <laughs> so but no. how many at bats have you had though? Now that I'm thinking <laughs> is Rob Khan going on Punisher this is Rob Khan. Any given moment, Rob could any given moment there's there could there's a possibility of somebody getting their ass kicked. <laughs> it seems to it seems to like it seems to like find you. It's it's insane how many stories he I hear about Rob Batman Khan. mask and he just goes out. I don't know, officer. This guy. Just like had a really good Kesakatami, and it's just like he beat the mugger up. <laughs> I just had well, you can't remember, I had one in, in my own freaking complex yeah. here, yeah. Uh, six months ago, eight months ago. Oh shit! Um, you fight Rob like too. At least you get to worry about an armbar. You get a fucking <laughs> slug in the forehead. <laughs> so, all right, I'm going to put your feet to the fire because I've been trying to get around to this, and I'm curious, and I, I have a feeling I know. Your, your views on this because I've trained with you quite a bit. So can you get better at self-defense, protecting yourself, training sport jiu-jitsu? And of if course, not, why not? You know, the, the beauty of jiu-jitsu, the efficiency of jiu-jitsu is, I mean, you know, even though what I've said so far is like, I feel like jiu-jitsu has gone down a path that uh, isn't, really necessarily a self-defense path the fact of the matter is like a good blue belt jiu-jitsu should be able to defend themselves from from just about any non-skilled attacker like even if they're more of a tournament style jiu-jitsu as long as they don't do something stupid you, you, you know what i'm saying like uh i i feel like you know a good blue belt or purple belt at the very minimum like 
how many guys can even if they're more tournament based as long as they're, like i said as long as they're not bare bowling on, on the cement uh while the guy's standing above them how, how much of a chance does the guy really have because they still do arm locks they still do chokes they still take people's backs and and put in you know put Montalions on people they still grab kimuras um like all that shit is still prevalent in jiu-jitsu like how hard is it to grab a kimura or an arm lock on somebody who's an unskilled fighter I mean, or put somebody to the ground and mount them and punch him in the face. You know yeah, what I'm talking I, about? Like a, a blue belt's going to hold somebody and mount. That guy ain't getting off you. You're, you're yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, so, so even if you still go down that path, you might not be able to get into an MMA cage right. with, with that shit. But um, but you can't get in an MMA cage with just pure old school jiu-jitsu anymore either at this point. Like, you, you, you know, you need the wrestling. You need the, the, the striking. You need everything. But – um. But yeah, I mean, the beauty of the jiu-jitsu is even if, if if that's the path you chose, the tournament path, I I still put my money on the jiu-jitsu guy against just about anybody else. So, you said something interesting, something stupid. As long as you don't do something stupid, um, do you feel like drilling these? Stupid techniques, the Baron Bolos, the Worm Gars, the things that might not necessarily be effective in a street fight altercation or self defense altercation, makes that become a part of your muscle memory. And therefore, when you're under the duress of survival, you do what works just because it, fu- it functions in your brain in that manner, which is going to prompt you to do things that are stupid to put yourself in a disadvantaged position. 100%. You, you, you practice, you know, your myelination of nerves. Uh, when you myelinate your nerves, you myelinate them with what you do in practice. And if in practice you're always doing these, you know, fancy tournament style moves, there's a very good possibility that you're going to pull those off under conditions of stress. Um, you, you know, what I've noticed, I'll just give you a quick, you know, like what, what, listen, I went through the same progression. Like when I was white belt, blue belt in the purple belt, like purple belt, I would go for every submission under the sun. I'd spin for a knee, come back for a foot, spin up, try and get to the neck, come back down, go for the shoulder. Like I'd be all over the place. And then as I got older and and wiser and trained more, I realized like, why am I going for these moves that have like a 60 or 50 or 40% chance of, of working when I already have X number of moves that are like 95%? If I just wait an extra couple minutes and set it up properly, like when this guy falls into my funnel here, I'm going to catch you. Like I, I have 95% chance or better of catching you once I get you into some of these funnels. So I'm going to take the funnels um, that funnel you into the moves that, that I, that work best for me. So what seemed to happen was I wound up using significantly less, significantly less moves as a black belt than I do as a, than I did as a purple belt. Because I, I don't believe 60% of the time uh, when I can wait an extra minute or two and catch somebody in a move that works 99% of the time for me. Yeah, I, I, I'm under the opinion that, you know, I, you know, I've worked in bars for a long, long time. I've done security at bars in the bars for a long, long time. So I have used self-defense jiu-jitsu like all the fuck time. You know what I mean? Like it's a daily routine for me. And what I've noticed is, you know, honestly uh, – Obviously, I have the ability to work under you and Matt, so I have that solid self-defense fundamentals under my belt because our fundamentals are very similar to your fundamentals, which come straight from the source. So I feel confident 
and that idea. But what I've noticed is like the, the funny Philly thing is the leg locks and the rolling bear and bows and the deep half guards and stuff that I do with I'm rolling, like don't even come into play in a street follow up occasion. My fly, my funnel is very, very small. I'm looking at two, three things. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a grab I'm gonna get a grip on you. I'm gonna get you on the ground and I'm gonna hold you there in advanced yeah, position, we, we get my hooks in the that, end. We call that the Gift kill, wrap punches. kill package. We call that the kill backpack. I un I undo it and then I just fucking kill everybody. <laughs> so I guess I guess the point I'm trying to make is this is that you know the amount of knowledge that you really need to know, just like you said, a blue belt that you know has any kind of like athletic ability is you have a superpower. And when you when you're a blue belt in jujitsu, even if you don't realize, even if you don't think you do, when you're in a situation against an untrained individual, you know, barring an elite athlete, you have a superpower. And the, the guy doesn't have a chance, and they don't really realize it. No, but you no. don't need a whole lot of jujitsu to get there. What you need is practice and drilling and rolling to get inside of that brain to be able to learn how to think under the duress of real life circumstances. And that's the beauty of drilling that we recreate that over and over again. Just Without need to myelinate the nerves, man. Myelinate the nerves. Read the book. Um, I like that. The Talent Code, one of the best books I've ever read about training. I like that. I like that. Myelination of nerves. All right. Well, Rob, listen, we don't want to keep you forever, but, and really I, just, I wanted to, I wanted <laughs> to spend, okay, easy there. I wanted to spend at least 20 minutes talking about what it's, what was, what it's been like knowing like Kev G as long as you have and how you've been. You you know, I know. Like just like crazy. What was, 20 tad, minutes. You, what you was tadpole? Five. What was tadpole little Kev? Like when he first showed up with like a <laughs> two hairs on his chin and just like, Hey guys, I'm Kevin Gallagher. Nah, yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I, listen, I'll shoot it straight. Like I've liked Kevin from day one. Like Kevin's just a likable guy. And uh, you know, I, I, when we first opened South, I was down there a lot more, you know? So I was down there more when Kevin was like a white belt, a blue belt, it's a purple belt, I believe. And then I started showing up more like once a week and I'd see Kevin in my, and then he started teaching. So he wasn't able, you know, he was teaching kind of the same times I was, I was teaching myself. So, um, he wasn't in my classes as much, but we get a chance to talk when I was down there. You gave me and, my blue belt, by the way. I remember you smacked me on the back with the blue belt when I was rolling. It was like one of the greatest experiences of my life. Nothing, <laughs> nothing is cooler than your blue belt. Everything's awesome. Purple belt's awesome. Like black belt's awesome. But when you get your blue belt, there's nothing more satisfying than to play that. Fuck this white belt. I put my blue belt. Blue belt is on me. Me, it was purple belt. Purple belt was like the belt that, like, yeah, me, I, I had the best memories of. Right. I'm not gonna lie. For for those of us that don't like achieve anything in life, I feel like blue belt is still pretty much like the best <laughs> thing ever. Yeah. I but listen, I and I appreciate that little insight into pre master champion Kev. But I would love to end on you know we've talked a lot about your strong opinions on you know competitive jujitsu and its role in your life and is in and uh, it, when you teach people what you consider. The the competitive scene has been taken over pretty recently by some conversations regarding money. Specifically, one Andre Galvao asking for a, a cool million dollars to roll against uh, Gordon Ryan at an ADCC super fight. A lot of people going, hey, man, you're Andre Galvao, but there's not enough money in jiu-jitsu for that, man. Like The Sheik is only going to dole out so much before he goes, okay, I'm, this is bored. I'm bored of this. Um, do you think... You know, in the same way that you 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 have a skepticism of like how good competitive jujitsu is for like the art, do you think these types of super fights have any kind of important role in in growing the sport? 
Uh, you know, I like I said, I, I you know, I have I have a what twenty five, almost thirty year of you know a fast uh, like love of jujitsu. Um, but even I don't think it's a spectator sport. Like, I mean, outside of a few, you know, people like me and you guys who who have like got brain you know, damage, yeah, really immersed themselves in the art. Like, who the fuck is gonna watch two sweaty? Dudes rolling around like <laughs> gives a fuck. I mean, I really always say this fuck. like I know what's going on, and I still want to poke my eyeballs out. Why? Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's so fucking boring. I love the art, and there might be one out of every twenty matches I give a shit about. Like they're usually fucking. Every once in a while, you get like the Hodger Buchecha match, which was like unbelievable. Like the way Hodger that whole match went down, and Hodger submitted Buchecha. Yeah, the drama and, behind yeah. it. Like and, and and but like Hodger was thought to be over the hill and Bujacha was taking the crown from him and Hodger just destroyed. Like for for every one of those matches, there's four thousand bullshit. I won by two advantages. I could kill myself before <laughs> watching that match again. <laughs> matches. So so like how is this thing gonna become a real fucking sport when even the most diehard fans can't even fucking stand it? I'm sorry. I just got like I love I love training. I love teaching. I just fucking hate watching. Yeah. Now I, I understand that that that's that's a really reasonable point of view, and I don't want to shift too much into something that you're that is not your wheelhouse or, or something that you care to focus on. But it I I do feel it is an interesting matchup. You know, you got two of the best guys around right now, potentially going oh. at it. Money aside. Do you have any any thoughts on who would walk away winning that fight? Oh, Gordon would win easy. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I I mean, I, come on, come on. Sorry. Oh, the dog, <laughs> dog, dog doesn't agree. Dog is all Andre. He's like, come on, stop, hell, man? stop, stop. Andre's got Listen, so much more. Experience. Is that line nineties? I, 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 I think you know, a world of respect for Andre Gavau. I I think he is fantastic. He's certainly one of the all time greats. But like, you got to remember. Andre also went like 0 and 6 against Marcelo Garcia, who's smaller than him. Like Gordon Ryan is now jacked to the gills, big as hell, and uh, he's dangerous in so many positions. He, you know, uh, Andre doesn't have the leg game that that Andre had. Uh, I'm sorry, Andre doesn't have the leg game that Gordon has. Gordon is now like really gotten good at on bars and taking the back. Like he, he's as good as there is out there in like three or four different positions. Um, his wrestling's pretty good. And it doesn't matter because if he gets, if he pulls guard, that means he's going to be elevating the look for the leg anyway, which is probably his strongest suit. So like, I, I just don't see where Andre is going to beat him. Yeah. The only, give Gordon the only thing- time he's big. Now Gordon is bigger, stronger, younger, and has more ways of winning. The only thing I'll say about Andre Gavao's game is that he has he I don't think there's been anyone that just has that pressure in your face, beat you up, take you out of your game plan, uh jiu-jitsu style more than Andre Gavao. Like I saw him do it to Pena. I see it do it to see him do it to all his guys. If you he can figure out a way Marcelo Garcia. Yeah, but I mean we're talking Marcelo Garcia, we're talking, you know, ten years ago. We're talking about Andre yeah, we're talking Gavau about 20, 25 year old black belts. Yeah, I know, I know. I I think if he could I think if he could somehow break Gordon Ryan's spirit, 
he can do that. But Gordon Ryan's special. You ain't breaking that kid's well, I, I think that, I think like, that like, Andre, you, listen, listen, you guys are more qualified to talk about like the technical aspects of this matchup. But I feel like Andre could be doing more to capitalize on his strengths. For instance, his traps are way bigger than Gordon's. I mean, it looks like <laughs> his traps are about to swallow his neck. They're so fucking big. Like he looks just like a dome. Like he's got the juggernaut helmet and it's just a yeah, fucking no, he had, he definitely has big traps. Yeah. God, he prays to God every night to grow those traps. Gordon, Gordon wins that. Gordon wins that match unquestionably. Well, he definitely prays. He much. definitely gets on his knees and prays to somebody. Um, <laughs> La, La, La Bumba is what they I think is what they call it down south. <laughs> Jesus gives him a syringe every day. Supplements are expensive. Oh man, you gotta supplement your income with that cool million dollars. <laughs> all right. Well, Rob, listen, we really appreciate all these these great insights and all this this these fun stories, but um I think it's time to call it. You know, you look like you got better way better things to do than talking to us for a little bit longer. But we do want to give you the floor to momentarily plug, you know, we you brought up your friend's book. But if there's any other things you want people to go look for, like social media or stuff you got going on in Tampa, we'd no, love for you to no. I no, I mean Gracie Tampa, obviously all the Gracie Tampa schools. I'm no longer plugging myself on Facebook. I'm banning them because they keep <laughs> banning me. So uh I'll no longer be using Facebook. I'm gonna find another social media app that that isn't prejudiced against half views. Um <laughs> Uh, we were doing so fucking good too, man. <laughs> Zuckerberg's gonna rip this one down. Thanks, Rob. We were so close. I was so happy. I'm like, we're on rail. I didn't say. I didn't really just edit it out. Just edit it out. Big fucking deal. Oh my god! All right, you can edit that, right? I can't. I, you know what? We'll figure out. I got to look over this whole thing, this, this thing. Nah, but, uh, we're fucking you know, fine. No, I think no, we're, dude, good. we're good. We're good. I mean, good. I'd say leave it in because Zuckerberg's a cocksucker. He fucking suspended <laughs> me again for saying fuck. Zuckerberg wakes up yeah. every single day as one of you're, the richest men in the world, and his only thought is, how can I screw with Rob Khan? To he's on, you're on his, you're on his radar. 11 times this year. I'm pretty yeah. sure that's exactly what he wakes up thinking. You're on when, he was in con- when he was testifying to Congress, all in the back of his mind is, man, Rob, you're fucking done when I'm out of here. <laughs> you have some, some like half-Jew love for me or something. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, while we still are employed, uh, this has been another very fascinating episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast. Rob, thank you again so much for giving us your time. It's been an honor. That has also terrified me a little bit because it's it's great to know where Kevin Gallagher picked up so much of his Kevin Gallagheriness. <laughs> uh, you've given me one more reason to stay very clear of Florida as much as I can. Uh, hey, listen, Florida, Florida man is no joke. <laughs> Yeah. Right, is also, that you? <laughs> also for me rob like i just want to tell you that i love you you're amazing um just like you say horion is the greatest instructor you've ever learned from i don't think that i've ever met anyone that isn't as good an instructor as you are in all fields you have an amazing understanding of not just the topic but your ability to communicate that to other students. And that only comes from understanding how people learn. It's a unique thing that not many people were blessed with. And I thank you so much for all that you've done for me and blah, 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 blah. But thank you for being who you are. And I love you. <laughs> I love you too, Kevin, man. And, and uh, I really appreciate having you guys having me on. Sorry that fucking phone was shaking. Um, <laughs> my dog's been banging into me this entire hour. trying to get my attention. Um, 
Oh, but, no uh, yeah, man. like, you know, if you're ever in Tampa, come into one of the Gracie Tampa locations, man. We got a bunch of them. Yeah. Oh, I'm not going to list yeah. them all, but, you, you know, hit the website, GracieTampa.com. You can find them all. Um, links links and, will be found down below where you can you can research more about all the Gracie schools that are running down south. El and also, before I, before I forget, um, earlier, I know I, I was talking about my coach, Chris Noonan, and uh, I will say that he doesn't just tell me not to get in, like, not to get into positions. He does, like, explain a lot more, and he's a really good coach. Chris, I love you. Just because I didn't want him to I'm think sure that. I'm sure he's going to lose. He would text me and be like, what the <laughs> fuck, man? <laughs> I'm Kevin's sure he's going to be up at night. I'm a good coach. I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> he's going right. to move down here with like a stick with his shit tied in it now that, that Noonan's going to throw him out. The <laughs> list of people Brown, leave it down. The list of people in this community that just would take a baseball bat to my teeth given the chance is just kind of it, it kind of bumps me out. But you know, that's live and let live. Most of them are pussies anyway, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have been your host, Kevin Bradley, joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Kevin Gallagher, and special guest, Mr. Rob Khan. Everybody out there, keep training, keep hustling, keep grinding, and we will see you next time. Good night.